welcome to Bible Foundations, where we study books of the Bible one chapter at a time. I want to remind you where you can view and listen to our podcast. To watch it, you can go to YouTube, type in Ignite Global Ministries, subscribe to Ignite Global Ministries. You'll see there's a playlist called Bible Foundations. We also have other podcasts, conversations, and some weekly teachings as well. So we'd love to have you as a subscriber. Make sure to click the bell for notifications so it updates you whenever we go live or we have new content. We also want to let you know that we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other audio podcasts. Just look for Bible Foundations with Ben Dixon and subscribe. Share this stuff with your friends. We want everybody to join the conversation about God's Word. Again, books of the Bible, one chapter at a time. If you've been following us at all, you know we're in the letter that Peter wrote his first letter, so 1 Peter chapter 5. And what I want to do real quickly is go back a little bit to chapter 4, because it's been a while since we've been together, and I just want to remind you of what we talked about, what we looked at, really what Peter's talking about, and then we'll jump into chapter 5 and read it together. It's not very long, won't take very long, but there's a lot of content there that we don't want to miss. So in 1 Peter chapter 4, we talked about two things. The first was he was talking about choosing to live for the purpose of God. They're up against all odds. The readers in the first century who he's talking to, they're going through at least verbal persecution, if not even more than that. You might remember how we kind of um, made a distinction between the two. Peter reminded the believers to choose the purpose of God rather than self-preservation, fear, or sin. Those are the defaults, those are the go-tos in our flesh, and Peter encouraged them away from that. The second thing that we talked about in our review is suffering for Christ brings glory to God. Peter has already spoken a bunch about the reality of suffering and not to fear it, but in chapter 4, he highlighted the fact that the way that we suffer brings glory to God. Not just that we suffer, right? Suffering for suffering's sake is not profitable. But if we suffer in a way that reveals Christ because we're loving when we're offended, we don't offend back— um, when we're insulted, we don't insult back. In fact, we bless when we're cursed. We pray for those that despitefully use us. We just do what Jesus said. And Peter draws attention to that in his own words, in his own way. And remember, he was a disciple of Christ, walked with him for three years. So he certainly knew these teachings and had embodied them. And now he's telling the believers of the first century who are undergoing all kinds of pain, you know what, the way that you live this out, you can't control the external but you can control the internal through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you live a life that reflects Jesus Christ, when you suffer, if you suffer, you can do it in a way that brings glory to Jesus and brings people to Christ. And so from there, we jump right into 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'm just going to read the whole thing because it looks here, there, there's 14 verses. And so let's read it together. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Peter says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to ex be examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James also mentions that. It's a quotation. Verse 6, 
Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him, standing firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus and our, and our faithful brother, for so I regarded him, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that that is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. See who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I first want to jump into verses one through four. There's there's a lot here, and I'm just going to summarize it by saying this is what Peter's doing. He's he's talking to uh, the believers, which we've already referenced, and this is like a final word to the elders of the church. He starts his address by saying to the elders of the church. Now, when we hear the word elder, we can think of older person. And it does mean that. The, the same word that's used here can mean someone that's older. But it also can be referred to a spiritual leader who's further along in the Lord, someone that's appointed and anointed for such a task. We know that uh, Timothy, uh, Paul talks to Timothy about this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul talks to Titus about this as well by giving qualifications of elders. And so specifically in this context, he's talking to spiritual elders of the church. The concept of eldership goes all the way back to the people of Israel, which was implemented. Um, and we see that there. And Jesus then carries on this tradition where there's an appointing of elders uh, in the church. So Jesus appoints the disciples. He appoints them as apostles. They end up becoming the elders of the church. In the book of Acts, we see deacons, we see elders. Again, this is something that Israel had elders in their camp. We see the same thing happening in the church. And so he's speaking to those that had this appointment, those that were recognized as spiritual leaders, and he's giving his final words to them for them personally, but also the way that they're supposed to steward their ministry and um, facilitate the church of God. So he's he's really wanting them um, to walk in a certain way, to continue the mission of Jesus, carry the message properly, that the faith could be passed down in a way that glorifies Christ. Notice that uh, Peter did not appeal to them as an apostle of Christ or the Pope of the church, actually he appealed to them as an equal. He says, I am a fellow elder in the church. Now, why is that important? That's important because today we have Catholicism. Now, this is just an apologetic notation here. Uh, the whole Catholic church believes that Peter was the first Pope, and from there we have a successive line of Popes, the papacy. Um, this is where the authority of the church is derived. Now, the Protestant church derives its authority from Scripture, sola scriptura, Scripture alone. It doesn't mean that elders don't have a level of authority, but they have a level of authority to distribute the message, to facilitate the ministry. They do not have authority above that. In fact, they're all under that. And I like how Peter says, I'm a fellow elder in the church. It's interesting because 
Peter didn't believe that he was the first pope. It's a, we look back and we say he was. He calls himself a fellow elder. He doesn't exalt himself. He doesn't suggest that he's more than that. His understanding of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 was certainly not that the church was going to be built on him. And this is just an apologetic note. Whenever we're interpreting scripture, particularly in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. He wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about the rock of the revelation of who Jesus is that came out of Peter's mouth. When we look at Peter's words, we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. If Peter thought the church was built on him, you would think that somewhere in his letter, somewhere in his writings, or somewhere in the writings of the rest of the New Testament, there would be an indication of this, and yet there just simply is not. The only way that you can come to that place is through church history, and that's what religion has has done, namely the 300s and on in, in church history. And so I think whenever we're looking at Scripture, if there's an apologetic point, we want to make sure to bring that up because um, as much as we want to learn and grow, we want to undo the things that we've we possibly been told. And th those are some for, for any of us that have grown up in the Catholic Church or been influenced by some of that uh, teaching. Not to suggest the Catholic Church has everything wrong, but they certainly do in this regard, uh, in my opinion. Now, in verse 2, he says something specific to the elders, shepherd the flock of God. What does it mean to shepherd the flock of God? It means to care for, to feed, to love, to lead, and to nurture. And I wrote down four things that I think Peter intended when he said shepherd the flock to these specific elders. These were the tasks that they were responsible for. And the first one is they protect the sheep from wolves and any other enemy threats on the outside. So protection. The second is they provide for the sheep. Provision. They, they, uh, they provide a place uh, naturally speaking, where they have food and water. And so this would refer to the word, this would refer to natural care as well, but spiritually speaking, primarily. Um, number three is they watch over the sheep to ensure they don't wander, which can happen from time to time. So that's not just an enemy or an outside threat. That's also the fact that sheep are prone to wander. And so shepherds have this heart of guardianship, even if there's something inside them that wants to go astray, they're called to say, hey, stay in the flock, stay uh, among the people of God. And that's something that they do is to watch over. The fourth is they teach their flock. This is a call for shepherds to teach, preach the truth to the people of God. This is, this is absolutely essential, right? Is that shepherds have to teach. They have to teach accurately. They have to teach often. And I know sometimes like in the church, too much teaching can kind of get annoying. It's like way too much. We can all have too much, I suppose. But the reality is, is the days in which we're living, we don't have enough and we certainly don't have enough accurate teaching. And so we need to have shepherds that teach the word of God accurately, boldly, clearly. And so Peter's encouraging these elders to do just that. And I think it's just such a profound instruction for us today, especially those of you that are watching that are elders, that are pastors or leaders. And even if you're not established this way in the church, maybe you're a mom, maybe you're a dad, this can mean the same thing to us, whatever it is that we're leading and responsible for. We have these little humans called children, and they're going to get older and become adults, and we want to make sure that we instruct them and admonish them 
uh, in the ways of the Lord as the Bible tells us to. Peter specifically mentions that the shepherd should care for the sheep voluntarily, and he says, not under compulsion. In other words, you have to do this, what you're doing, by conviction. It can't be out of obligation. This is something God has given you. This is something you have to desire. This is something that you have to do well, and you cannot do this out of like some feeling or obligatory thing. There has to be a conviction from God. So if you lose that, you have to ask God to give it back, and He will, because this has everything to do with our attitude. And we know the difference, right? Can you imagine if a pastor came in into his role, whether they're paid or not, and essentially what, and it could be a woman, so a man or a woman that's a pastor, a leader of the church, and they just have a terrible attitude, like they don't want to do what they're doing, right? That doesn't help God's church. And so Peter is addressing this, saying, don't do this under compulsion. You don't have to. You've been called by God. This is something that is in your DNA, and you do this as a service to the Lord and also to serve His people. And so make sure that your attitude is right, that your conviction and your calling is established in Christ and not just something that you kind of do. Um, he says, do not do this out of sword and gain, which means that you don't do it for what you get out of it. So for elders or pastors, they're not. it's not, what do I get out of it? How much do I get paid for it? Not to say that pastors shouldn't get paid or can't get paid because the Bible's clear about that. But Peter's saying, don't be firstly concerned about that. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that you need will be added to you. So there's this fundamental trust that if God's called us to do something, that we give our best to that and we believe that our shepherd will take care of us. And that's what Peter is laying down to these elders. Don't do what you do out of obligation or compulsion and don't do it for what you get out of it. Do it because it's your calling. Now, in verse three, he goes to this. He's, he says, be an example to the flock of God. Now, he's talking about in leadership and in lifestyle. So, the way that you lead, the way that you pastor is part of the instruction to the people that you lead. In other words, it's not just what you say. He's saying, you have got to be an example right alongside the words that you're sharing. And if your life doesn't also lead, then your instruction won't mean anything. And so, he's saying, you have to be a person in your own way of living and your own leadership of your own home and your own heart, it has to be in line with what you're teaching because Jesus is the one that rewards us. And really that's what his appeal is. He's saying the one who's actually watching you is Jesus. And at the end of all of this, your reward's gonna come from him. So your reward can't come from what you get from people or what you get from places. It has to come from Jesus. You have to know that Jesus is watching you. Jesus sees everything. And Jesus Jesus loves you and he is going to care for you and reward you. And so for those elders that are listening to Peter in this letter and, and us today too, we realize that if we live our life before the Lord in purity and uprightness and we do what we do for him ultimately, and as a result of that, we're serving people, like Jesus is gonna reward us. The Bible's really clear. He's going to hand out those rewards at the end of the age. So we do what we do in the name of Jesus for his glory to receive his reward, whatever that might be. Now in verse five, it kind of seems a little strange because he's shifting from elders, okay? Remember that, the conversation to elders. And then he starts talking to younger men. So if you're a younger man and you could be a younger woman, it doesn't matter right now in this context because he's just speaking to the younger. And he says, younger men, submit to your elders. 
Submit to your elders. And he says, likewise, what is he talking about? I'll tell you exactly what he's talking about. He's saying in the same way that elders submit to the Lord, now younger men need to submit to the Lord and to their elders. All right. So this is the whole point is, is that for those that you're watching as an example, as elders, younger men, you need to do the same thing with them because this is what pleases the Lord. And he isn't just saying older people, right? We've already established that elders means those who have been given charge and appointment in the church to oversee the flock of God. It doesn't mean we don't respect our elders and those that are actually physically older than us, but specifically the context is talking about pastors, leaders, overseers, and so on. So the concept of submission is connected to how we serve the Lord. And that's what Peter's getting at here. It's about attitude. Remember the elder, it's about their attitude being for the Lord and doing what they do for him. And now for younger men, you need to submit to your elders and it's about attitude and you do what you do for the Lord. So we serve others over us who have been given charge in the Lord to lead us. This is an attitude issue. Submission is a good thing, people. I want you to hear me say this. Sometimes submission is a bad word in church, right? So whenever you, whenever I do premarriage counseling and I start to talk to women about submitting to their husbands, um, nine out of 10 have a problem with that. The, why do we have a problem with that? Why do women have a problem with that? Why do men have a problem with that? Why do overseers have a problem with that? Why do younger people have a problem? We all have a problem with submission. And the reason is, is because we don't want someone over us to take advantage of us. There's just the reality to this. We don't want somebody who has been given this place of leadership for us to give that to them without having a thinking brain and a feeling heart. And the fact is we don't have to let go of our brain. We don't have to let go of our heart. Submission is not become a doormat, get stepped on and never have a question, never have a thought, never have a conversation. That's not what submission means. That's abuse, okay? (laughs) Abuse is where you just never ask a question. You never have anything to say. You never have a conversation with anybody. They get to do whatever they want. That's not the kind of submission he's referring to. He's actually just simply talking about the attitude of those that are under others. Elders are under the Lord. Uh, Young people are under the elders of the church. It's just attitude, right? Just stop for a second and think about your attitude. Sometimes my attitude needs an adjustment. My dad has a funny joke. He says, I'm, he goes, I go to AA all the time. And people think Alcoholics Anonymous. And he says, no, attitude adjustment. <laughs> it's probably a bad joke and he won't listen to this. But anyways, he always talks about that attitude adjustment. We always need attitude adjustments. And that's right. And one of the ways, or one of the places that we see our our attitudes emerge is when it comes to this thing of submission. Submission is a blessing. Uh, God's given us his covering in the body of Christ. And uh, when that goes astray, we can always have conversations and we ought to. And and we don't have to submit to abuse, friends. That's that's not the point. It's submit to authority, leadership, uh, loving leaders, Uh, that are serving the people of God, makes things go well. So submission is a quality that God expects. And listen to this, he also rewards. He gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. Did you hear that? God gives grace to people who are humble, but he resists the proud. And people want the blessing and the favor of God. They need to be humble. That's clear right here. It's same, same in the book of James chapter four. It says the exact same thing. Now, This often gets quoted out of context, but when you move to verse six, it's actually connected with this conversation. He says, "Humble, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time, that he may exalt you in proper time. See, we quote that verse 
almost as a means by which we get the favor of God. But think of it this way. He's talking to the elder, he's talking to the younger men, and then he literally says, therefore, because of what I just said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in proper time. The mighty hand of God is speaking of God's discipline, of God's covering. If we humble ourselves to under God's hand, then he will lift us up in proper time. What does that mean? Is he going to give us favor in this life? Is he going to do something for us that we've been praying for? Actually, it isn't a reference to that at all. You know what this is a reference to? This is that on the day when we meet Jesus, whether that's we die and we meet him or we're resurrected because we're part of that last generation, whatever that looks like, he's the one that's going to reward us. If we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will lift us up in that proper time, that due time. That's not some time in our life. That's at the end of our life. That's literally what this is talking about. That's the context of this. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. The proper time, friends, is when Jesus returns. That's what he's talking about. The point is not the when. We know the when. The point is the what that he's the one that will take care of you. He's the one that sees everything. He wants our attitude to be proper. That's the whole point that Peter's getting at. The, the other things are minor in comparison to us having the submissive heart, submissive attitude, and living before the Lord as we do so. He says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In other words, as we go about living our life before the Lord in whatever position that we have in the church, whatever place that God has put us, there are going to come anxieties. There are going to come things that happen. And as a result of this, we need to give all of those things to the Lord for He cares for us. And this is just something that we do through prayer. This is something that we offer to the Lord in our relationship with Him because He knows what to do with this. So if you're feeling a sense of anxiety— as it pertains to church or church hurt or church wounds or maybe your parents or people that were over you in the Lord or, or really anything, if we wanted to bridge this out beyond the context, you give it to the Lord. He's the only one that knows what to do with it. If we keep anxiety and all of that, this turmoil, if we just keep that inside of us, it just churns like butter. I mean, it, it, it's, we don't have like this spiritual incinerator. The way that we get rid of those things is we give them to God. He's the one that can take them from us. As far as the East is from the West, that's how far he's removed our own transgressions. He can do the same thing with our anxieties. He can remove them from us. But if we keep them inside, it'll just churn into a turmoil that will cause us to have a certain kind of behavior whether that's bitterness, unforgiveness, offense, these things will start to rise up in our life. And look at the next verse. To me, this is really powerful. Verse eight, be of sober spirit. This is, listen, right after he says, this is what you need to do with your anxieties because you're a people under authority and the elders are under Jesus's authority. And Jesus is the one that's gonna reward us on that day. So we have to do what we do for him. He says, after anxieties, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I mean, that's the next verse. So it, it begs the, the question, if we don't give our anxieties to God for he cares for us, but we keep them to ourselves and we know the devil is prowling around seeking someone to devour, he's looking for that person that isn't taking what's on the inside, giving it to Jesus for a heavenly exchange. 
And we have this angst, we have this turmoil, we have this bitterness, we're upset, we're wondering when things are gonna change, all of that. If we don't give that to God and it's gonna, this turmoil settles in on us, that's what the devil feeds on. So keep this in the context. Don't take that verse out of context and be like, hey, we need to know the devil's always prowling. But he's specifically talking to people in this text about that anxiety that we feel as a result of how this goes with each other in the body of Christ. And yes, the principle applies to other situations in our life, but think of it like this. What if we don't follow this instruction? Peter says, well, here's what's gonna happen. You need to understand, be sober, be on alert. The devil's prowling. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What's he looking for? He's looking for a people that don't have that exchange with God. They don't give to God those things that they can't handle themselves. And if we keep those things in, the devil feeds on that. He just does because he's looking for people that are getting bitter. He's looking for people that stay offended. He's looking for people that, that walk in that same spirit of rebellion. That's what he did. He was that, he, that spirit of rebellion. Look at how this is all connected, right? Humble yourselves. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. What's the message here? Humble, humility. This is what he's saying. People that are prideful, the devil feeds on that. He eats on it and he's gonna eat your lunch. So listen, humble ourselves. Amen, Lord, help us to do that. Then he says, verse nine, resist him, firm in, standing firm in your faith, knowing the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So there's all kinds of suffering suffering that happens as a result of being a part of this family, suffering that happens in the body of Christ. We all undergo suffering. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his internal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him, be the dominion forever and ever. And I just wanna close by saying this. I think the promise that Peter is giving, friends, is this, is that if we live our life before the Lord, if we humble ourselves before him, and we follow the instruction of the Lord when Jesus returns or when, when we meet Jesus, what's gonna happen is the reward that he has for us, he's going to release upon our life. And we need to look forward to the day, not only when we meet him, but what he brings for us. That's what we long for. That's what we do this for. That's what we serve for, is for the reward of Jesus. And whatever that is, maybe it's just his presence and having him with us and all that's just enough. He's always enough. But the fact is, is that when suffering comes, when difficulty, pain, turmoil, anxiety, all these things come into our life as a result of maybe the body of Christ or the world that wants to persecute us, wherever it comes from, as we submit ourselves to the Lord, as we humble ourselves before him, the Bible says he will lift us up and he will give us the kind of grace that we need. The statement that you've probably heard before that I wanna close with is that seldom do you have the grace that you need until the time in which you need it. When we humble ourselves before God, he gives us the grace that we need. You always think about a situation a person is walking through and you go, man, I don't know how they did it. Here's how they do it. They receive the grace that they need at the time that they need it. God always gives us what we need. All we have to do is humble ourselves before him. Amen? Amen. Well, man, I'm so thankful for 1 Peter chapter 5. We finally uh, got 1 Peter done. We're going to enter into 2 Peter. I thought you probably would know that, you prophetic people, you. Uh, but we're looking forward to starting the second letter uh, of the Apostle Peter here in just a few short weeks. So God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you follow, for following along. Share this with your friends. Let's continue to study the Word of God as we build our foundation on Him and His Word. God bless you. Amen. Amen.